trying to get the maps up here for you. I've tried a couple of different ways and uh, even brought them on, on over for us to put on the computer. And the computer tells me it doesn't like the format, which I don't know. I went up and found a couple of them and downloaded those and then it liked the format. So I'm not sure what was was going on with that. But we have uh, one map and when it comes time, we'll, we'll pull that up for you and show you some things from that. But I won't be able to get all the other things that we had in all the other maps. But in Ezekiel chapter 38, in this section of the book of Ezekiel, we have a prophecy of some things that are very much future. This um, this prophecy of Ezekiel comes about uh, was about 2,600 years ago, is when this was was uh, depicted, given, and Matthew 24. I gave you that reference there. You can take a look and compare some of Jesus' teaching to the things here that Ezekiel speaks. But let's go over here to Ezekiel 38. In verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now the prophecy is against Gog, specifically. Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now this name Gog only appears here in chapters 38 and 39, which it appears quite a few times. First Chronicles 5 4 is the name of one of the sons. And in uh, actually it's one of the sons of Reuben. <clears throat> and then in Revelation 20 and verse 8, this same Gog is identified. Those are the only only places that we have this. The associated name Magog. This appears in the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 2. If you ever wonder why those things are in the word of God and they're so boring to read through, well, this is one of those reasons. Uh, it appears with Gomer, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. These are all sons of Japheth. It also, Magog also appears in Revelations chapter 20 and verse 8. There are some suggestions as to who this might be. I saw about a, a half dozen suggestions of this. I threw out a couple of them because it's just ridiculous that anyone would even consider those things. So I'll give you three here. One is an unidentified ruler whose name is from a Sumerian loan word, Gug, G-U-G, which means darkness. That another is an official title for a ruler comparable to Pharaoh or king. And third is a general term for any enemy of God's people. Now, in the Shaf Herzog Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge, citing ancient Assyrian writings, places the locations of Magog in a landmass between Armenia and Media. So, basically, the republic south of Russia and north of Israel. This would comprise such countries as Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, Turkestan, Chetnia, Turkey, so forth. Now these are all Muslim nations. At least uh, currently these are all, all Muslim nations. Uh, another point here is that in Ezekiel 39 and verse 18 the dead bodies of the fallen soldiers of Magog are called Fatlings of Bashan. And while most Bible encyclopedias identify 
uh, Bashan with Syria. There's also an area called Bashan in the Caucasus uh, region. But there's no way that we would ever call Russians Bashan, uh, the Vatlians of Bashan. Now, some of the uh, more well-known biblical references like Macmillan, Macmillan Bible Atlas or Oxford Bible Atlas or Moody Bible Atlas or Atlas of Bible Lands, they all locate Magog, Meshach, Tubal, and Gomer, uh, and, and Beth Togarma in Asia Minor, not in Russia. So there's a whole lot of uh, pull to put Rosh in Russia. And because of that, you're probably going to get something different in the meaning of this war. Now, Meshach and Tubal are regions of Turkey. More than likely, Magog must be in related to Turkey, or at least in the region around Turkey as well. It'd be very doubtful that Russia or someone from Russia would be head over these regions in the area of Turkey. It makes better sense to conclude that Gog is a leader of the land of Magog that is also associated with Meshach and Tubal, all of which are in, uh, in the region of Turkey. Now, the era of Russia being the uh, Rosh spoken of here, it comes from the Schofield Study Bible. This identifies Meshach and Tubal with the modern cities of Moscow and Tobolsk. Now, the problem here is that those cities didn't even exist in uh, Ezekiel's day. Um, let's see. Even the Herod, um, Herodotus. He also has uh, support for Magog, uh, Meshech, and Tubal in the region of Asia Minor. He was, of course, a lot closer to uh, Ezekiel's day. Now, if God intended for some European nations to be thrown into this mix of nations that come against Israel, he had the opportunity by simply mentioning such regions as Iberia or Shittim. Uh, Shittim is apparently the, the ancient name of Rome. But those... Those names are not in this list. So Magog today probably represents the former underbelly of the Soviet Union, which would be Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzia, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan. These are all Muslim. I think some other ones are... Uh, Keith, if you can move us out to our map, we'll show you... Oh yeah, this map doesn't show you them as as well. But the areas of southern Russia are going to be over into this region over here. So um, one of my other maps really showed it, so showed all of them very, very well. But I would be over here in the area uh, right next to Iran, coming down here in the bottom part of the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union states is what they are. And this is probably the areas that we're looking at in this war. Let's see. So anyway, we're dealing with the areas of modern modern Turkey. The name Rosh, not meaning Russia, Russia is actually based upon the name Rus, R-U-S. And it was, uh, I'll read this to you, which was brought into the, re the reign of Kiev, north of the Black Sea, by the Vikings only in the Middle Ages. That's a long time after this prophecy. That means that it would have been nearly 2,000 years after the time of Ezekiel that the supposed Rosh peoples became 
the Russians. Let's go on to verse 3 here. Ezekiel 38.3 And say, again we're talking about God, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God. Again, really indicating that God is a person, not a, not a nation, but the head of, a, of either a group of nations or the head of a nation. The, Behold, I am against you, O God, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now the hooks in your jaws here, this word for hooks in your jaws, it's a special bridle that was used on rebellious horses and would have little hooks that would dig into their cheeks if they would not go the way they were supposed to go. So it became even more painful for a horse than would a normal one. And so God is saying, even if you try and rebel against this way, we're going to get you to go down there. Verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. Let's go back up here to our map and uh, take a look at some of this this stuff. If you can read this or follow my light here on the on the map, Magog is not out here and Gomer is not out here. Some some places tried to take Gomer and make Gomer with um, Germany. And that would not be the case. This map, for some reason, also puts it over in here. So Magog is going to be in this area of Turkey. Meshek, Tubal, and Tugarma are also here. Tubal is more on the western side. Meshek, I'm sorry, on the eastern side. Meshek on the western side. And Tugarma just a little bit more east from Tubal. Persia, which is mentioned here, is also, uh, this would be the area of Iran. It could possibly also include some of Iraq, but um, most mostly we know it's going to be in this area of of Iran. The the other this is uh, Turkmenistan, and some of the other Stan countries are all the way out over in here. But, uh, these are the nations that are with them. So Persia, Iran is going to be with them. Ethiopia and Libya, some places put Kush and put. And that would be the northern countries of Africa. And again, Gomer is uh, more than likely over here in the area of Turkey. So what you're looking at for this battle to come come out is these areas where you see the red, Persia over here, and the northern areas of uh, North Africa. Egypt is not included. In fact, they are actually specifically said they will not be in the group, nor is this whole peninsula over here. So these areas are the ones that are included. This is why you, we know that Ezekiel's battle here is not dealing with the battle of uh, Armageddon because Armageddon would involve these nations that in this battle are excluded. More than likely in this battle, this war that takes place either happens at the beginning of the tribulation or at the end of the church age. Somewhere in that neck of the woods is where this is going to be, be going on. I couldn't tell you for sure which one it is. It can be, it's very easy to make it be either one. So we got all the nations that are there. These are all the ones that are coming with them. Let's go on, verse 7. Prepare yourselves and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited, 
in the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel which had long been desolate and they were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely so again here's this desolate part the land of Israel would be desolate when Israel was not there but once God gathered them back in the land would produce we saw that occur when they were brought back after the Babylonian encounter Uh, and we'll also see it here when they were brought back after World War II it was a desolate land no one wanted that land until Israel came in they made it flourish again or according to the prophecy until they would come in it would not flourish so once it became to to be flourishing then the people around there want the land and they want to drive them out verse 9 you will ascend coming like a storm covering the land like a cloud you and all your troops and many peoples with you so what God is saying is that Israel is going to be here in their land small small land than it is it is just this area small sliver area right here all of these lands are coming against them all their armies they're going to be coming from here now they have to go through Egypt it would seem unless they just get in boats and come around which of course we could do uh, right now uh, they could also possibly come up this from from this way and just use the water and not go through the the land so that is certainly a, a way these guys they either have to come through Iraq and Syria and they would have to let them or once again they'd have to come by way of the water but uh, there are some there is a gathering on the land so it would seem that they do come over the land in some capacity you will ascend coming like a storm covering the land like a cloud you and all your troops and many peoples with you so if they if we're only talking about making a sea entry into land this this verse of scripture would seem to be more fulfilled with landing coming on the land somewhere so they may be that Syria I don't want to be involved with this but if you want to come through our land go ahead um, Jordan may be the same way I, we don't know until we get there that's a, a lot of the ways with this with prophecies until uh, it's it's given it's exact but until it actually unfolds you don't know exactly what is meant but once it unfolds you say ah oh, that's exactly what the prophecy said we've seen that occur many times in the past so again verse 8 after many days you will be visited in the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people in mountains of Israel which had long been desolate they were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely now either that word safely can mean safely or it can mean carelessly so maybe they're not as uh, on guard that would not seem to be the case with Israel right now because they are very much on guard they are uh, they are on, always seem to be on high alert and if missiles come across their border it seems that they are ready in a, in a flash to start shooting down those missiles so I don't know that we can say that this word would mean carelessly, but perhaps they do mean that we feel like we're dwelling safely because every attack that they have done against us, we've been able to stop. Now, I put this in your outline. I believe I gave you a blank on this one. We will see who is not involved. When we see who is not involved in this battle, we know this is not Armageddon. Because in Armageddon, these nations that are not involved, specifically stated to not be involved, are very much involved. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. 
Now he's not saying that God, God's not saying that he puts those thoughts there, but he is saying that those thoughts will come. They will come to them. Certainly the enemy, Satan, his kingdom wants Israel wiped out because of God's blessings on these people, because God has uh, chosen these people. And if he can raise up a group to come against them, this would certainly be demonically inspired. The prophecy again starts with Gog. So someone in the area of Turkey, either the leader of Turkey or somehow he's associated with Turkey, don't know exactly what it is, but someone in this area is going to rise up in power, pull together his own nations, which would be Tubal, Tugarma, Gomar, and Meshach. These are the ones he seems to have direct rule over. He will also get a uh, alliance with Persia, Put or Libya, Ethiopia, and Cush. These are ones that are going to be brought in. He will not have control over those nations, but he will encourage those nations and they will join him as an alliance. So these nations seem to be tied together, these ones that are around the area of Turkey, and of course Turkey is all one country right now, and then Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya would come in as alliances. On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind. This is the mind of Gog, of the land of Magog. On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your minds and you will make an evil plan. They're going to devise something evil. God is not going to give them an evil plan. But they will have an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Well, that kind of describes most cities today. We don't really have all the all the bars and gates that are there. Generally, those things exist where the nation's border is, but not necessarily on the actual cities. To take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Now here's where we get the nations that are not involved. Sheba, Dedan, the merchant of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So the observers here, Sheba and Dedan, these are grandsons of Abraham, born to his son Jokshan, or uh, I guess by Keturah. Remember, he remarried after Sarah and had other other ones. They settled in the Arabian Peninsula, which would be this area over here. Dedan is right at that spot, and Sheba down here at the at the south. So Yemen would be what you would associate with Sheba, and Saudi Arabia more so with Dedan. I believe Dedan is still the capital of, or a, a big city in um, in Saudi Arabia. The other ones that we're seeing here is um, Tyre. Now, Tyre would be this area over here just above Israel. Israel has this, this land over in here. Remember, Tyre was a coastal city. And we had to, its prophecy when it fell. So they're one of the ones that would be, uh, be one of the spectators. Let me read that again. It doesn't look like our map is uh, coming out real clear for you folks. 
on Facebook. I apologize for that. Perhaps if you uh, are sitting there at home and you pull up a, a map of nations from Ezekiel 38. That's what I did a search on Ezekiel 38 nations and asked for a map. And that may uh, get you what you need. Uh, just about any of those maps, you can get an idea where it is. Each one of them shows different things. But there are some that will put Rosh up there in the area of Russia and just have to ignore that. That is a, that is the way that it had gone, gone about. So Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty and to carry away silver and gold, take away livestock and goods to take, uh, take plunder? So Tarshish, this is the son of Javan who settled in southern Greece. Some have tried to associate this with Great Britain. I'm not saying that they're wrong or that they're right. There's other people who study this out, and this is what they do. Uh, this is not what I do. I don't study out all the nations and where they all came from. I rely on other people and hear what they have to say. If 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 Tarshish is talking in some way referring to Great Britain, Great Britain, then the young lions would be all the colonies that came out of Great Britain. And we've heard young lions, of course, mentioned in end times prophecies before. But these nations are all standing on the sidelines watching. What would be interesting if the young lions are the offshoots of Great Britain, the United States would be one of them. We are Israel's closest ally. They are our one of our closest allies. I just don't... The way things are situated right now, I don't know that there's any way that a gathering mass of, of armies could gather against Israel and we not be involved. Uh, it, it could. It could very well happen. Um, it all depends on who comes in as, as president, who's sitting in as president, what we do. Just because we have a treaty with a nation doesn't mean that we honor it or that we come about and we do anything about the thing. There's, we've seen that in, uh, in many times before. We had... Um, uh, under the Obama administration, they had, I think it was the Obama administration who made the treaty with, um, oh, it just went right out, the country just went right out of my head there. One of the, um, Ukraine. We had a treaty with Ukraine and so Ukraine uh, took away all their army. And we said we would defend you if anything ever happened. And the Soviet Union came down and annexed part of the Ukraine, took part of it. Just, we want this, and they just took it, and they sat back and watched. Now, I don't know why we made a treaty like that. I would rather them defend themselves than us defend them. I think that's a, a little bit better. But we've, we've seen this before. If a treaty is in place and the current president doesn't like it or doesn't want to honor it, then it generally isn't honored. That can very well be here. We've seen some presidents in the past who were favorable to, towards Israel and other ones that were not favorable towards Israel. So it's all going to depend on who's in the White House there because the president may be able to not stop anything uh, for, uh, uh, maybe not forever, but they can sure slow it down for a while. So if they slow it down enough that we're on the sidelines and not jumping in to help out in the battle while it's going on, that may be what it is. So, um, again, we're, we're trying to interpret these things. They haven't happened yet, and the world is not set up the way it will be when this battle goes on. A lot could happen in there. Maybe, maybe we completely break our treaty with Israel. Maybe 
things go on and we are totally against Israel. I don't know what happens to us as a nation, but something will happen that the only nation on Israel's side is Israel. But what we're saying here is that the the peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula, is going to stay neutral. We're not getting involved. Can you imagine for the the hatred that has always been there with these countries? The countries that are left out is Jordan. It seems to be Syria, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, um, the uh, Arab Emirates, uh, uh, a number of the nations that are down that way. They're all on the sidelines. They're not getting involved. They're, they're watching. They're seeing this stuff go on. So they have, may have been approached about being in the group to come against them. And they decided, no, we're not going to. Or maybe they were left out. Again, we don't know what the situation is then. We just know what the prophecy is. So the prophecy gives us what nations are involved and which nations are not involved. So we watch that. Now we're only going to see this if it happens before the church is pulled out. So if it does, the reason that we have this prophecy here and the reason we even go over it is that we understand the, the times and how they unfold. So that we understand the treaties that are going on. And some of the things. Right now, we are in a, a a strong treaty with Turkey, not because we necessarily get along with them, and not because we uh, like all of their ideals. Um, it's simply because we want bases in their land. So we put up with a whole lot of stuff that we would not normally put up with, because we want bases in their lands. And the debate goes on. I don't think we should give up all that we've given up, or we're compromising all that we're compromising, in order for us to have bases and uh, arrangements with Saudi Arabia. Turkey, uh, have bases in, in Iraq, all these kind of things, because there is a great cost to us to have these things. So uh, that debate, of course, will go on. We're not about to take on that debate here. I'm just telling you, this, this is what goes on. Uh, it's kind of remarkable to me that Egypt stays on the sideline. Of all the nations that are out there, I think they perplex me the most. Not surprising me that, that Iran is in here. Iran hates Israel. Iran has been trying to get a nuclear weapon and to uh, that's part of the treaty that was made up with them recently that was uh, ended. Uh, President Trump ended the treaty, but it was a, a treaty to that basically guaranteed them a nuclear weapon within 10 years. And it was passed, uh, passed off as something other than that. But if you looked at the treaty, it would guarantee it in, in that way. That's why Israel was so upset about that particular treaty because if you put a nuclear weapon in the hands of Iran these are unstable nations they have unstable leadership and there's no telling how they would use it Pakistan has a nuclear weapon India I believe has a nu- nuclear weapon um, it, the more nations they get them the more dangerous the world over there becomes so these are the nations that will be standing on the sideline. Again, we'll probably have more understanding of that as we see it. Let's go on to verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog. Once again, this prophecy is to this individual. Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and your many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company in a mighty army. 
We don't really see too many armies riding on horses. Why they would be riding on horses in this, I don't know. Uh, it may make a lot more sense as we get closer to the battle. Right now, we don't usually ride horses. There's jeeps, there's all kinds of um, uh, military vehicles uh, to get you from one place to another that work a whole lot better than a horse. Then you will come from the, your place out of the far north, you and your many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company, and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So God is not putting this evil plan in their mind. They either can come up with it on their own. Satan may put the evil plot in their mind. They're going to look upon Israel, maybe for the food that is there, maybe just out of complete hatred. Maybe there's something strategic they need out of that land. Whatever it is, it's going to offer them an incredible temptation to take all of their forces and to come against Israel. Now, whatever victory is won, you have to divide it between these areas of the north, these uh, areas of the south in Libya and Ethiopia. And of course, I didn't say this, but Ethiopia is not necessarily just Ethiopia as we know it. It would also have included the Sudan. Uh, Sudan. Um, but not Egypt. So in this particular map, it actually writes it right over top of Ethiopia, Sudan, and Libya. And that's probably a very good uh, surmising of who is involved there. Some smaller nations are there. Maybe they go along too. Certainly they could and still be in line with the prophecy. We'd have to wait and, and see on that one. But you will come against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Those latter days we would certainly see as as going on now. We have not seen this battle go on. I haven't really seen anybody try and make a case to say this battle has already happened. But that doesn't mean that people aren't out there saying that. I just haven't come across any kind of an argument such a thing. Verse 17, Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants of the prophets Israel who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? Now this is a this is a very interesting verse. Prophecies of the former days. I'll read a couple of them here for you. Isaiah 14, 24, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass, and as I have purposed, so it shall stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountain tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulders. We've used this, mentioned this term before, the Assyrian. The Assyrian is talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Not any little forerunners who were talking about the Antichrist. This would have been a prophecy in former days. Isaiah 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Again, this seems to be indicating the things that go on around Antichrist. For Jeremiah 30, verse 18, Thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwellings. The city shall be built upon its own mound and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving in the voice of those who make merry and I will multiply them and they shall not diminish and I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as before and their congregation shall be established before me and I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them and their governor shall come from their midst. In other words, they're going to rule themselves. Then I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind, and it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it and until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will consider it. Now most of this wording seems to be more of the latter part of the end times or the latter part of the tribulation where the great fury of God is poured out. This would be poured out on Antichrist. So let's go back to our verse here. Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel? There are some other prophecies. Uh, Joel 3, 9 through 11 involves Egypt and Edom. But these are nations that are left out of this battle of Ezekiel. So that prophecy would not seem to be in um, conjunction with this one. In Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18 and 3, 8, that seems to be more of the final battle. Gog and, uh, the Gog-Magog message is very similar to Zechariah 12, 3 through 9 and 14, 1 through 8. But these do not come from the former days. These prophecies were given after Ezekiel. So he's referring to some that would come in the former days. That means they were given before Ezekiel's prophecy. So the Zechariah prophecies would be after. So that wouldn't be those. Now the literal Hebrew in verse 17 actually reads it this way. You can write this in there if you want to. Are you he of whom the prophet spoke? A question. It is frequently amended to the statement instead of a question. The statement would be, you are he of whom the prophet spoke. If you, if you amend this, the uh, verse to that, make the statement, you are he of whom the prophet spoke, then God is saying that this is Antichrist that we're speaking of right here. But if you take it in the literal Hebrew, are you he of whom the prophet spoke? Now there's a sim- there's a similarity between Ezekiel thirty eight seventeen, and I don't know if I put this in your outline or not. You can write this down if you want to go check it. Second Samuel seven verse five. Similar wording in the Hebrew. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Remember when God said that of David. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? What was the answer? No. It said his, his son, Solomon, would be the one. So if we have the same phraseology here, it's in the form of a question, are you he? It is very possible that God is saying, you look like him, but you're not him. He's called the Assyrian, so he's going to come out of this area. So the Gog that is here that orchestrates this battle, because of the loss, may lose his place of power, create a power void, and the one who steps in that void is the Antichrist. 
because he's coming from the area where the Antichrist should be. The Antichrist comes from the region of Turkey. He's called the Assyrian, which would be the old Assyrian Empire. But this this Gog does uh, he doesn't get all the nations involved that Antichrist will get involved in the last the final battle. So if we see that verse seventeen as are you he of whom the prophets of old spoke? The answer may very well be, no, you're not. God may be, be saying. So again, same, same phraseology, two different places. One is a negative. In First Chronicles 17.4, God confirms that negative when he says, you are not the one. You are not the one to build my house. All right, let's go on to verse 18. And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. <laughs> you're going to see, you're going to see me mad. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken, surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. So God says, you'll see me mad. Of course, if you're going to have an earthquake, prophesy that the earthquake is going to occur at the time of this battle. Can you imagine that? <laughs> that, is a, that is quite the prophecy. He goes on in verse 21. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So all these nations that are involved in this battle are going to turn on each other. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. And I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. They shall know that I am the Lord. So he's going to be, they're all going to come down here with this great evil plan. They're going to seize upon this small land. It's amazing to me. All this land mass, and they come down to this one. This tiny little nation is there. It's got something, or they're angry, or they just want vengeance on them, and it's just come to a place that they said, hey, we can wipe these guys out. We can get rid of them. And whatever it is, these other nations decide to go along, even though the nations closest to Israel, Jordan, doesn't seem to be involved. Egypt doesn't seem to be involved. Saudi Arabia is not involved. Yemen is not involved. Um, when we had the, the battle under, uh, I guess the first George Bush. Um, boy, sometimes these nations are just leaving my head. What was the, the nation that we liberated? Kuwait. When we liberated Kuwait. There was an interesting note that someone had made. It seems that most of the nations that were unified to, uni to uh, uh, free Kuwait are the nations that are on the sidelines in this battle. 
thought that was, uh, and it said, now the note I saw said most. So I guess there might be a few nations that were involved in the alliance. Because there's a lot of nations involved in the alliance to free Kuwait. But, um, I do know that some of these nations did purposely stay out of it and did not get involved. But the one thing that we will see is that all the nations that are mentioned here as coming into this battle, they're all Muslim nations. So it may be that the religion of the, the Muslim religion comes into play to inspire them to go into this battle. And Israel being a Jewish religion, it may be a, a religious class. I don't, I don't know what that would be, but somehow they're going to be motivated to come on out here and do this. There's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be pestilence, there's going to be bloodshed. Brother will rise up against brother. And all the nations, once this is all done, all the nations will know that God is God. Especially with the way we, we get coverage, we get news coverage today. Can you imagine the news coverage on this? Because the battle, we get into the battle in the next chapter. The battle is over. Fairly, It's not a long, drawn-out, lasting months or anything like that. It's over very quickly. Can you imagine the news coverage on some of the uh, media outlets now? Uh, seeing all this, for they probably were, some of them would be rejoicing. Israel is going to get uh, wiped out here. Again, we're on the sidelines watching. We are not getting involved. So it's, it's not taking us as a surprise. We are seeing this come about. And we stand on the sidelines and we see God do this phenomenal deliverance. So here at the end, how would this look to the Jewish people in the last days if they didn't have God's word on this? If you were in the nation of Israel and you were a Jewish person and you saw, because this is not a surprise attack, it may be somewhat sudden, but it's not surprise because there's a lot of, uh, there's a, God is doing a lot of things to pull other nations in. Now, Israel has intelligence. Things don't happen without people knowing. They have intelligence. They have ways of breaking things. Israel's very good at their intelligence. So if they'll get intelligence probably on this. Hey, we're, they're trying to get this, this group together. So far, it looks like these are the nations that are going to come against us. They're going to have some heads up on this. If, um, if you were Israel and you did not have God's word on this, what would you think? God, you brought us into this land. You pulled us from all these... these you know, they, the nation does not serve Jesus. They serve God. So they, they see God as in this. They have the Old Testament. They believe in the Old Testament. Ezekiel's writings are in their repertoire of the things they rely on. They will read Ezekiel as the Jewish people would, and they have confidence in it. So there's no reason for them to ignore this. And chapter 38 and 39 is talking about them becoming a nation now and the nations that are going to come against them. So they should have this uh, pretty much down. And even if they didn't, if they start seeing all these nations come against them, they're going to have God's word on it. And surely they can give that to the people. People, look, this was prophesied by Ezekiel 2,600 years ago. And these are the nations that is picked. And look at the nations that are coming up against us. This is what Ezekiel talked about. And this is what God says will happen. Would that not bring you some comfort? I think that, that would do pretty good for, for them. Now, the same thing for us. How do our life situations look when we don't see them through the looking glass of the Word of God? 
if this is why we study the word, this is why we pull all this stuff out so that these things don't take us by surprise. I see them coming. God, you said when this happens, this is what you would do. You said when I saw these things going on, this is where your hand is. We have God's word on pestilence. We have God's word on people dying on your left side and your right side. And, but it will not come nigh you, it will not come near you. This is what we have from the word of God. We have to look at everything that is going on in the world around us through the looking glass of the Word of God, just like Israel is supposed to do this here. If they did not have this prophecy that Ezekiel gave them, and you had all these nations coming against you, and no one was helping, everybody is standing on the sidelines watching, Saudi Arabia, Egypt even, uh, and some of the ones that maybe they considered to be their allies, and they said, we can't help you on this, uh, we just can't get involved. We'll, we'll be watching, but we're not going to get involved. Israel's got to be saying, where's our help going to come from? And of course, in the Word of God, we know where it comes from. But they have God's Word directly on this. There will be people in Israel who will not heed the word of Ezekiel's prophecy. And they will, they will come into a place of fear. But there will be those who will listen to Ezekiel's prophecy and, and tell the people, we don't have to be concerned. God said this is what would happen. Now, can you imagine the people in the, the enemy's camp? They're not they're, There's people out there, they're not concerned. They're telling their, their folks that God will deliver them and that we will all be wiped out, that this was prophesied in one of their, one of their uh, books 2,600 years ago, that this was going to be prophesied. And maybe they would then go to the book of Ezekiel and they would look at it and say, wow, this is all the nations that we have gathered again into this battle. And yet they still go into battle. That is amazing to me. But they do it. But everything that we have in life, we have the opportunity to look at it through the looking glass of the Word of God. Or we have the opportunity to look at it through the glasses of fear and dismay and hopelessness or whatever it is that we want to do. Don't ever look at this world through anything but the looking glass of the Word of God. You've got to stay with that. We look at Jesus. Jesus constantly looked at things through what God told him he would accomplish. Through what God told him that he would do. And he stayed with it. Paul did the same thing. Even when people were trying to say, Oh, it's going to be bad for you, Paul, if you're going down to Jerusalem. Oh, it's going to be bad. And, and, and Paul just says, Look, I know hard times are ahead for me. God told me that they were. But this is what I was supposed to do. And he kept on going. Always look at your situation through the looking glass of the Word of God. Not too long ago here as a church, we read through the book of Revelation. In chapters 2 and 3, we have the letter that was written to the seven churches. And God spoke to them about things that were coming down upon them. Things that made their situation look very, very grim, very tough. Some of you are going to die. Persecutions are coming. Many things were told to them, but God said, just keep keep going. Keep enduring to the end. It's, it's going to be all right. They had to look at those situations through the looking glass of the Word of God. This is why prophecies are put into the Word. This is why promises are put into the Word. The enemy wants you to get you off of the Word and to look at the circumstances, to look at the things that are going on. Don't do it. Stay with the Word of God. Keep going back to it. Know His promises. 
Know what he has said is coming about. Know the prophecies. Know what he has said is about to happen in this world. If God knows that it's going to happen and God cares about you, then God has a way to get you through it. Or if you don't and you become a martyr through the situation, you've got a great reward ahead for you. Don't worry about it. But look at your life situations always through the looking glass of the Word. And here in this, in these two chapters, 38 and 39, just imagine being someone from Israel. If you didn't have this Word, you saw all these nations coming down upon you. What would be going on in your mind? What kind of fears would be out there for you to grab hold of? But if you stay with the Word, you keep looking at your situation through what God promised and not what the world's telling you, what your mind's telling you, what your fears are telling you, what your hopelessness is telling you. But keep looking at God. This is what you promised. This is what you said for me. We'll come out on the other side. Just like uh, in Kings, we were looking at this on Sunday morning. And Elisha gave the word, tomorrow at this time, this is what's going to happen. He gave people message of hope but some people couldn't grab hold of it and one actually verbalized, verbally said this won't happen and he never did see it but God is in the uh, in the business of giving us hope giving us something to look forward to so whatever it is that you're going through know that somewhere in the word of God he's given you a promise for that he's given you a prophecy of how he's brought other people through he'll show you people who faced the same things you're facing, how they came through, what they believed God for, and how God showed His great love for them. He'll do the same thing for you. If it is written in the Word of God, and it's a story of someone who went through great tragedy, great opposition, whatever it might be that they went through, if it's in the Word of God, it's not just a story to let us know something that happened. It is a place to teach you what your God will do for you. If it happened to someone else in the Word of God, it can happen for you. And that's why it's in there. To remind you. To give you hope. To give you encouragement. God, if you did this for Abraham. God, if you did this for Joseph. God, if you did this for Daniel. If you did this for Paul. You'll do it for me. And He will. Well, Father, I thank You for all that Your Word contains. For its purpose is to give us hope. Its purpose is to give us guidance when darkness wants to descend all around us and make it seem like there's no way to go. Sometimes fear grips us when we get surrounded by darkness. But it shouldn't. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And in your word, you constantly show your great love for your people. Even when your people left you, followed after other gods, you still had a great love for them. And showed us that in your word. Thank you for the great love that you have for us. And no matter what it is, it comes against us. You are there to help us. You are there to give us hope. You are there to teach us things from your word that will change how we view what is going on around us. 
I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.